Hi, I'm James E. Lusos. Hi, I'm Emily Hang. Hi, I'm Serge Modi. I'm Sharon Flores. And today on COVID Conversations, we'll be talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. But first, let's address what is a vaccine? Do you guys know what breaks down and categorizes a vaccine? The only thing I can think of is like how there's different types. And you, you're probably going to go into this, but I, there's like um, types where like you inject like viral vectors and then with COVID, we are seeing like an mRNA vaccine. Yes, exactly that. So typically a traditional vaccine is composed of lab-grown antigens. And these antigens, when they're exposed to our bodies via typically an injection, they produce a immune response that forces our bodies to produce antibodies. Now, these antibodies are able to bind to these antigens and neutralize them. So they kind of act as like drug dogs for our bodies, you know? They sniff them down, they destroy them. And once we have these antibodies, your immune system keeps them around, just in case this vaccine or whatever, or virus, excuse me, shows back up and starts to infect you again, because then it can have that immune response immediately versus making them again. Now, the COVID-19 vaccine is a little bit different because it's an mRNA vaccine. So do you guys know anything about the development of the mRNA vaccine and also like mainly when do you think this started developing? Like, when did this technology start developing? I remember reading that the current COVID vaccines are based off of previous vaccines for other viruses like SARS. I also heard that mRNA technology has been around for around, I think around a decade or so, so it's not completely new technology. In 1989, scientists began to work to develop therapeutic mRNA, which is kind of a hot minute ago. So mRNA is a single-stranded copy of a portion of DNA that is used to encode and produce proteins. Now, therapeutically, mRNA allows our bodies to actually naturally produce defensive antigens versus a traditional vaccine, which would inject the antigen into you. Now, this is a highly diverse method for vaccine production because all you need to make this vaccine is the genetic code of that virus. And once you have that genetic code, you can basically just insert the vaccine. So you can do this for any, any virus. You can just pull that genetic code, pop it in, and you have a functional vaccine, which means this is a speedy, quick technology to just kind of switch it in and out. Now, there are some kind of issues that came in the development of these vaccines because mRNA itself is a bit finicky. It's a bit of a unstable molecule. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but our bodies are trained to destroy free-floating mRNA. So how do we counter this? Do y'all have any ideas? I have no idea. I was actually gonna ask, like, how does the mRNA like get into the cells? Yeah, could you like have it like hide and act like it's something else that's not that mRNA so our body doesn't identify it as free-floating mRNA? You could also potentially protect the mRNA in some way. Yes, yes, and yes. So there are actually several methods that have kind of gone into this. So to start by counteracting the destruction of the mRNA itself, what scientists have done is they've stuck a poly-A tail on the end of it. And for those of you that don't know, a poly-A tail is a long string of the base adenine. (laughs) Um, And then they also attach a 5' cap, which is a super strong altered nucleotide, to the other end of it. 
And both of these techniques are already used by our body to protect its own mRNA. But you know, just this poly A tail and this five prime cap isn't enough because it turns out that our body actually modifies nucleotides on our mRNA to make sure that it doesn't get destroyed. It's kind of like a little signal to our body being like, hey, no, I belong here. So this modification is most commonly seen through the methylation of adenosines to form M6A or M6AM. And again, this tells the body that, hey, this is self-produced, you don't need to destroy me. But the problem is if we have too many of these modified bases, our body is literally not gonna do anything and this mRNA is not gonna do anything. It's not gonna produce a immune response and it's not gonna have the resulting you know, immunity that we need. So what do we do? Any suggestions? Specifically for the uh, altered bases. You could have a mixture of some altered bases and some non-altered bases. Yep, I like to call this kind of like the Goldilocks of modified bases where they have to have just enough that the body doesn't break down the mRNA, but not enough that we don't get an immune response that gives us that immunity. So scientists have done this and we have a vaccine. But again, we need to get this vaccine into our cell. We need to get the mRNA into the cell so it can produce the antibodies. And how do we do this? mRNA is too big to pass through the membrane of the cell because the membrane is very tightly packed molecules. And when you have something that is large and charged, it's not moving through it. So what scientists have done is they've wrapped this mRNA in lipid nanoparticles called LNPs which are positively charged and little droplets of fat. And these little fat droplets, these LNPs, they're attracted to the negatively charged membrane of the cell and they stick to it. And once they stick to this membrane, they are brought into the cell. They enter the cell through endocytosis. And then the LNP is broken down naturally by the cell, releasing the mRNA into our cell cytoplasm. Now, LNPs, they've kind of been around for a while. Can you guys guess how long? 25 years. Yeah, they've actually been around since 1970. So not to like shade people who say that the production's been real speedy, fast on this whole vaccine front, but you know, this kind of technology, it's been in development for 30 plus years. People have been working on it. The mobile phone was also produced in the 1970s and look at how far that's come. So just like keep that in mind. But anyways, once inside the cell, this mRNA, it runs through our ribosomes and it produces these antigens, which the body then uses to produce antibodies. And that's how the vaccine works. Now, do you guys have any concerns that have kind of popped up regarding this vaccine, you know, in your day-to-day -day life? I don't have any concerns, but I know my mom was concerned about like fertility issues caused by the vaccine. Oh, that was my mom's biggest concern when I told her that I got it because she was like, you should at least wait a year to see how it affects like people in general and women, especially with like fertility issues and yada yada. And I was like, I and then I started like looking it up and then I think uh, it had something it, I read something about how like the there was like once a concern that one of like the mRNA coded for a protein that had something to do with like placenta and like, but then they ended up debunking it. So it's like, it's not really a concern. I think people just try to like look into it. Absolutely. That concern was actually raised by a German doctor called Wolfgang Vodarg. And I'm so sorry, I've completely butchered that pronunciation, but 
you know, I, this is also a concern that I heard a lot. And I actually heard, you know, I knew people that were nurses that were saying, oh, no, you shouldn't get it because I want to have kids and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I also looked into it. And so I'm going to kind of like break it down for you guys. But first, could one of you write the sentence, that cat ran fast for me? Just one of us or? or yeah, you can all write it. That's, you know, it's, it'll still work either way. And just kind of tuck it away once you've written it. Okay. Awesome. All right, so this fertility concern actually stems from the similarities between the genetic information of the Sinkitin-1 protein and a protein spike found on the COVID-19. Now, again, as stated, it was raised by this German doctor, and he worked with somebody who also worked with the Feltzer vaccine. And, you know, they asked this question, if the vaccine has this protein and it's very similar, will it cause the body to produce antibodies that will defend against Sinkitin-1 and actually ruin your placenta, so you can't have children. And the thing is, there's really no merit to this. Let's go back to that sentence I had you write. If you cross out all the A's in that sentence and replace them with U's and then rewrite the sentence, what do you get? Um, the sentence doesn't have the same meaning. The sentence, if you read it, becomes fust, cust, run fust. Which, yeah, if you scoot your chair real far back and you squint a little bit, it does look similar. And it does sound, you know, kind of the same. But at the end of the day, the meaning is not the same. And this is kind of analogous to how our body reads genetic code. Yeah, it may look similar, but if you have that many differences, even if they are slight and don't look that big, your body's going to catch it. And so at the end of the day, it's not going to produce this antibody for your placenta. That was one major concern. Now, another thing I've heard a lot is people are worried that the COVID-19 vaccine is going to alter their DNA, which let's think back to the LNPs. If, you're bo- if the mRNA is too big to enter your cell as a whole, it is definitely not going to be able to get through the nuclear envelope, the membrane surrounding the nucleus, and touch your DNA. It just physically isn't possible for it to move through there. And it's just not going to alter your DNA. And even if it was able to move through, it is a single-stranded piece. It's not going to be taken up by your DNA unless it's very specific conditions. So it just, it it isn't going to happen, and I'm sorry. (laughs) As cool as it would be to be, like, majority virus, it is not the case. Yeah, are there any questions, concerns, comments? Yeah, I have, like, a, a kind of question. So, like, as we've probably seen, there's, like, been some aversion towards this vaccine um so do you think that like kind of comes from um our misconception that if it's a vaccine it's only like the viral vector type of vaccine where it's like you you get inserted with like an actual piece of the of the virus that we're trying to impact i think that's definitely is a major concern and it does come up a lot where people don't necessarily understand the differences and so they kind of assume that but At the end of the day, like, our genome is, it does contain viruses. They may be dormant, they may be from, like, millions of years ago, but it is a common thing and it is a common occurrence. So even if it was this kind of vaccine, it may not be something that you necessarily need to be afraid of. Yeah, totally. I've also heard that the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines are the mRNA vaccines, but there are other COVID-19 vaccines, 
like the Parth Biotech vaccine that are inactivated virus vaccines. Uh, so I think some people have concerns with the inactivated virus vaccine as well. Honestly, I, I do understand that because you are being injected with a portion of that genome from the vaccine. But what people don't realize is that that portion is a weaker version. Typically, when you have a vaccine like that, they have taken the actual vaccine as a whole or the virus as a whole, and they have bred it down until it becomes a weaker, more diluted version of itself. And that's what you're getting. Kind of similar to how any flu vaccine acts. And like, yeah, you might feel it a little bit, but it is not the vaccine as a whole. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like with the vaccine and that kind of stuff, it definitely gets sensationalized. I don't know if you guys have been on the news lately. Mm-hmm. Right. It totally does. Also, I did want to ask, what did you guys think of Dr. Wolfgang's like hypothesis, his question regarding the placenta? I think it was a valid question. Because if like you notice a similarity and you'd be like, oh, and like if it was, a, but I think because of his question, it made like the whole like vaccine situation so much more complicated than it has to be. Because his question should have been answered by like people with more like scientific like backgrounds, right? And even when his question was answered, and I was like, no, it's not going to f- affect your fertility. His question already like ran rampant through like the media and through like, I'm not, like in my case, like my parents like WeChat like circles. So then at that point like everyone was like oh it's causing fertility issues and it's a lot harder to contain that when it's already like been going around yeah i think like it gets kind of stuck in these information bubbles where people go in and they're like oh no anti-vaxxers you can't do it because it's going to ruin your fertility and then it just you know they they kind of don't see that second half where it's like nope Totally. It's just like they kind of get stuck with the question like, oh, can it affect fertility? And then they kind of like run with it. They don't really look at like the results and go, oh, it, that this was a question and a concern people had and actually like looked into it and found out that it shouldn't be a concern. I agree that the initial question was definitely valid. Um, any scientific discovery should be reviewed and you should ensure that it's safe. But once it was deemed safe, uh, you know, there's no problem anymore. It's just people spreading misinformation that's causing the real issue. I don't think it's Wolfgang's fault. I think it's the fault of people spreading misinformation. Absolutely. And that's like kind of one of my biggest problems with this is that you get people who are going to take that information and spread it like it's fact. And then once, you know, actual facts come out, nobody believes it because, you know, they're so stuck in this mindset that it isn't safe and that kind of stuff. This has been James Elusos covering vaccines, and next week, Sharon will cover the COVID-19 health disparities. Yay!